Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 73, and we are doing chapters 62 through 65 of part 3 of Oathbringer. We have two Shalon chapters and two Dalinar chapters in our episode this week. We're still on our cookie cutter patterns of two point of view chapters back to two point of view chapters that we started last week. It's all, we're not throwing in, you know, Yasna and Scar and Dre E and Moash. And we're, we're, we're back to our main three down on and Kaladin point of view for now. So first of all, Paul, how are you and who's on our mug? So this week on our mug, I'm doing well, by the way, that doesn't matter too much. What does matter though, is on our mug we have dun dun dun, dun Shaunity. Shaunity, however you want, you want to say it. So everyone say it, give a little golf clap for Shaunity. Yay. Thank you, week. I guess I hope you Thank like you. music or pianos. I have a little piano mug here. So I, I hope that's cool to you. If not, then I'm sorry, but there can't be a redo right now. So my apologies if 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 that's... Thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon, Shaunity. Uh Elliot, how are you? Patreon. Oh, oh, I almost forgot to mention he is a surgeon, I believe. So uh, that's correct. Last week I was. Wait, <laughs> Spearman. No, no. Try. He's an ardent. I'm fairly certain he's an ardent. Let me check. Let me check. I don't think you're right on this. I would like to challenge this officially. Challenge. I'll. I'll go to the review. He's a surgeon. He Shaunity is an ardent ten dollar tier. Well, thank you, doubly. <laughs> you're Shaunity. You're oh for sorry, yeah. you're oh for two for guessing our tiers. <laughs> but and the funny thing is, I didn't think I was guessing either of them. I thought I was just right. Okay, but last week, this is me saving my my tail right now. I was thinking the ten dollar tier, but I thought that was surgeon. Like I had our tiers mixed up in my head. This time I was wrong. I'm sorry, Sean. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ellie, how are you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, these chapters this week, though, are getting a little weird. I'm really interested to talk to you guys about them because some funky stuff is going down for our uh, our characters. You don't think deliberately attracting a pain spread on purpose is a normal thing to do? Uh, the normal um, thing if you're Shalon. <laughs> true. That was apparently very depressing and sad, but true. <laughs> All right, two words, and I won't forget to ask them about them after our intro this time. Paul. Um, I have crazy and confusion. Crazy and confusion. Elliot? My two words are love quadrangle. <laughs> Okay, love quadrangle and crazy confusion. Good luck keeping a straight face saying that one. I just did. Let's use these four words and talk about it for you. Congrats on keeping a straight face, Trevor. There you go. 
right, Elliot, how do you spell quadrangle? You you have to be able to spell them in order to use them one. now. How do I spell quadrangle? That That's not hard. Q-U-A-D-R-A-N-G-L-E. It is a thing. Go Google it. I am trying to, however, mash up like quadratic rectangle and triangle into one, which I'll explain a little more when we get down to the chapter. But uh, we have a very strange little love triangle that's sort of turning into like a love rectangle, but there's still only three people involved. Yeah, it's getting confusing. We'll talk about it later. And your other word. Oh, wait, those are two words. That's that's both. Got it. Paul? Um, so I have crazy, which is referring to uh, Miss Shawn a bit. Like, it's it's not that she's crazy. It's that she's the right kind of crazy for what what's happening here. Um, referring to uh, the, the pain sprint uh, moments there. Um, and then confusion. This word always applies to me as I'm confused, <laughs> but in our story, um, I think there's a lot of confusion with our sprint and with pattern specifically, and I kind of want to dive into that more as we go forward, or at least uh, it seems like there's kind of like a a stress in their bond which I will talk about as we go forward but I, I'm that was the main reason why for pattern alright so let's talk about let's talk about Shalon both of your guys' words included included Shalon we just got out of two Kaladin point of view chapters and we jumped to a Shalon point of view chapters, but it's the same storyline. So we're we're still in the same setting, you know, whatever. Shalon and Kaladin are in the same room. So we just swapped over to Shalon. And Adolin brings them to his old tailor. And Adolin has a funny line of, you know, Kaladin, I really was thinking, who would I trust with my life that in, in the walls of Kolinar? Of course, it's going to be my tailor because that's the type of I would trust my tailor with my life because that's who that's who Adolin is. So there's a nice there's, there's a nice quote for you. And Elliot, the first thing on our outline is Shalon is a bit crazy. So do you want to talk about this for a little yes. bit? Paul, you definitely picked the right word because I I read through this whole chapter thinking like, what the heck is Shalon doing? I, I didn't even like get it towards the end what she's what she's trying to accomplish here she's just grabbing scissors and stabbing herself in the leg she's intentionally like revealing herself awkwardly by tripping over stuff and in front you know, of the oops king. and getting all right in front of all the the men and getting all embarrassed and she, she's doing all of this just so she can get the strange spren to appear so she can draw them it's like shawan you are crazy like in a special Shalon sort of way. Like I get why she's doing it, but like what? That's what I was saying. So, so we know Shalon is crazy, right? But right. You know, part of life is finding your kind of crazy, right? You know? And <laughs> I think enough. Shalon is the right kind of crazy for what's happening here. I don't think anyone else is really going to do this. So, Shout out to Shalon. I, you know, I'm in, I'm impressed. Um, I guess I don't. 
I was going to say, I guess someone has to do it. I don't know if you have to do it, like, but she notices and she's like, okay, well, I guess I have to stab myself in the leg now. It's just I don't make the rules. <laughs> I have to stab myself I, in the leg now to attract fake pain spren. I guess one way to look at it is, man, is she committed? Like, she's thinking, ooh, there's different spren around here. We need to do some research on this. How? It, but instead of a normal person thinking, ooh, I'll just wait till I see a pain spren, she just means like, oh, well, let's make some pain spren. Oh, scissors. Okay, great. <laughs> wow, that's that's dedication right there. And the fact that she doesn't like what she's doing isn't really that far fetched. She's just doing some research. She doesn't tell anyone about it. You know, she's just in the back room stabbing herself with scissors. And I, <laughs> I actually imagine a very humorous like movie scene going on right now, where like Kaladin and Adolin and Elkar are trying to have this serious conversation, and there's just like Shalon in the background, like looking around for scissors and like grabbing them and oh no one's looking okay stab like while they're trying to have this like serious you know strategy discussion it could be it could be played off i think rather rather hilariously if done correctly i i agree i agree um one thing i want to say though so it's a really like crazy scene right there's just all this ridiculousness happening um but there's something that really caught my attention and got me thinking and that was with pattern whenever she stabs herself in the leg and Pattern seems very distressed. And he's like, Shalon. Like, first it's like, okay, Shalon, what did you do? You know, that's a reasonable reaction. But then I think it's more of like, a Shalon, this isn't how we're supposed to do it, right? This right. is like, my understanding is, she's so she is attracting pain spread. And like all these spread, like herself, she's like f effectively faking or lying to like attract them. I mean, she is really in pain, but it's kind of a but weird, it's, like it's staged. Yes, exactly. And that me is getting me thinking of like, maybe that's why pattern seems like worried here. And I'm wondering if we're going to have, I've said this before, and this may just be me beating a dead horse or something, but he, we had this in the last book, with Syl and Kaladin, where there was like a, a real damage in their bond. And I'm wondering if this is kind of leading to a damage in the bond between Shalon and Pattern. Uh, because she's like staging things or like lying. I guess this is on a different level. And so um, it has really worried Pattern. He Like listening... Maybe this wasn't played as much in the book. I don't know. But in the audiobook, like, it was really, like, there's a lot of buzzing going on. There's a whole lot of, mmm, and... Doesn't that hurt? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, that that really got me thinking of, like, is Shalong going too far here with faking things or staging things and lying, so... That's an interesting thought. I didn't really think about it that way, but that is that would be concerning if there is going to be start to be some maybe friction in the relationship there. My my impression of it was kind of more that Shal that pattern was was just kind of confused by what Shalom is doing. But but your take on it, Paul, actually makes a little more sense almost that that patterns concerned perhaps. So we'll have to keep an eye on this going forward. I do think it's something. This may not be completely true. I'm actually curious to see uh, from our other readers, if you're watching this, like, 
what your first impression of this was because I think that may have been an audiobook thing because their voice, like the reader's voice sounds very distressed and like way more so than just like a, what are you doing? Like it seemed more like in pain or in like a state of frantic worry than like a what's happening, you know? So that that's mostly why I, I came to that conclusion. The conversation that's happening while Shalon is in the back room misbehaving, producing Spren or whatever, tripping over her skirt to produce embarrassment Spren or whatever, shame Spren. The, the tailor is giving them the rundown of what's happening in the city of Asudon has kind of lost it and she's kind of the, the tailor, she's not saying that in so many words, she's kind of skirting around that issue of Asadon's kind of lost it because Elokar's standing right there, you know? Like, you're not going to tell the king to his face, yeah, your wife is crazy. Like, your wife is going insane. She's kind of, you know, saying that in a roundabout way of Asadon's has a bunch of these weird orders and she predicted the parchment and that type of thing. And Elokar... He's not really thinking that rationally. He's like, "Oh, it's the dark sprint. It's the dark sprint. We're gonna, we're gonna blame everything on the the shadow that's over the, and Asadon is the victim here." And Shalon, we get this from the point of view of Shalon in this chapter. Shalon comes to that conclusion pretty quickly. Of, well, wait a minute here. Wait, some of those topics were before the dark sprint showed up, before the Everstorm showed up, so. How is Asadon really the victim, or what's actually happening here? She she has more questions than Elokar does. Elokar is, you know, Asadon is innocent. This is all Everstorm based, and so do you guys think Kaladin and Adolin picked up on that too? That maybe Asadon isn't as uh, innocent as Elokar wants to believe, but Shalon certainly picked that up. I feel like Kaladin and Adolin both are not always the most observant people, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't really pick up on the disconnects there and, and Shalon was the only one who did. I definitely was trying to wrestle with the like sequence of events and how things are going down. Is this Aesodan's fault? Is this the Dark Spren's influence? I couldn't tell, though, if the tailor was so kind of out of sorts that she's telling the story wrong or if she's telling the story right she's just like leaving out bits and Elokar is just jumping to the conclusion of he doesn't want to you know believe ill of his wife that's that's kind of where it seems i mean we've we've seen a few other perspectives that have hinted at a not so goodness about Asadan to to make me lean towards the direction of the tailor's telling the right tale Elokar's just jumping to her defense too soon. Do you guys remember our interlude from our young Ardent way back in? I don't even remember when it was. I want to say Words of Radiance at some point, but it's the end of yeah, like maybe one of the last ones in Words of Radiance, maybe. Where she spends all night writing all over the temple walls and floor, 
denouncing the queen and then the queen has her hanged or publicly um killed and then a bunch of riots start in the city do you guys remember that interlude I definitely do. And that I and that's what I was so. kind of alluding to of our, our other perspective is I was remembering back to that that other perspective of we've seen the the waste or the Aesana doesn't seem to care about the common people, just herself and her palace, perhaps. So that leads toward, you know, something's already wrong before this darkness showed up. Plus plus on top of that. I actually, this whole section through these chapters was thinking all the way back to the prologue of Words of Radiance, because that is one of the first times we even see Aesodan's name. I think we've heard it before that, but that's the first time we really start to think about her as a character, because we learn in that prologue that Yasna is sneaking around, right? That prologue is from her perspective, and trying to have Aesodan assassinated, which, by the way, is a huge thing that we've like not even revisited for a whole book and a half now. That just hasn't really come up of why in the world was Yasna trying to assassinate Aesodan on that night. So I'm reading these chapters thinking, you know, already, well, she's already been on the bad books for Yasna for years. So maybe this is going to tie all the way back to that at some point. What was the name of the assassin that she sent? Do we know? All right, that, oh. it, that's actually not that important. Um, if, I was thinking maybe, maybe that was... assassin is the or High Marshal Azure or whoever. If I was a better host, I w I could tell you, but mm. alas, I I have it in front of me because I was actually looking at it earlier. It appears her name is Liss. Mm. L I S S Liss. Liss. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, nothing really happened with that, so that's that's kind of weird. Do we think that's just a Brandon Sanderson giving us something to think about and leaving it at that, or is it still going to be relevant? We also I'm... have we also have no context of why Yasna was trying to assassinate her. This is seven that's years true. ago at this point, so that's true. And it's clear that after the events of that night, Yasna changes her mind, right? Because she doesn't, over the following six, seven years, follow through with that plan. So I, I'm really hoping that we're going to get to meet Aesodan for the first time and actually get to see what we're dealing with and why she seems to be a fairly polarizing character. But we don't meet her quite yet in these chapters, at least. So at the end of chapter 62, Shalon reveals herself to her three crewmates and they, they're all kind of surprised-ish. Um, one of them isn't as surprised as the other. I don't remember who it is. Do you, not really important, but she's she kind of reveals herself that she's both Shalon and Vale. And then Shalon has an interesting phrase 
about the balance between Vale and Shalon. Elliot, do you want to talk about this? You have it in the outline. I did note this note this down because it is right at the end of the chapter. She reveals her character. The others are, you know, kind of surprised, kind of like, oh, we knew something fishy was going on. And so they're kind of talking about, you know, oh, okay, there's Shalon, there's Vale. Like, oh, I thought Vale was the real person and, and Shalon was the fake. And then Shalon kind of responds back, like, uh, actually they're both equally false. And I kind of pause there, like, uh, hold on a second, Shalon. Is are you being sarcastic or is this you starting to lose it? Do you have you forgotten who the real you is? Are you we've we've talked before about the possibility of her potentially, you know, getting lost in her lies, getting lost in these multiple personas that she's developed for herself, and the danger of that. Is this is that happening here? It almost kind of plays off like she's joking or something like that. But at the same time, I kind of wonder, like, uh, uh-oh. I remember on my first read-through, I I was listening to that and on the audiobook, and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Shalon is the character, and Vale is the persona, and Shalon is saying, oh, now they're both personas. They're both equally false. I'm like, okay. In my mind, I, I thought of this almost as a like power grab of like you don't know who I am, like kind of that, like okay, like, yeah, like like which historically I've always been like oh Shalon is super wound up in her identities and that's really dangerous and stuff, which I still think is extremely possible and honestly more likely. But kind of my thought reading or hearing this was more of like. Oh no, they're both fake. So they're like, oh, like who is, who are you? Like mystical, kind of. I don't know. Right. It's her reserves saying, more power. It's yeah. her saying, I'm neither one, or you know, like, you know what this really is? Proof that she's actually Light Song. You're right. She. You're right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. This is the moment. She's neither is... Shalon nor Vale. She's Light Song. Right. Clearly, she must be Light Song. Ooh, glad we finally got the missing piece. We, we, oh, we solved that question. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon Sanderson, for answering this question <laughs> in a timely manner. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm. You, that's great. You heard it yeah. here first, everyone. You mm-hmm. heard it here first four or five months ago. Like, we were on top of yeah. this early. It was. It was. Uh, I had a really keen eye for this. It's <laughs> so really grateful to. Uh, Finally get the confirmation we've been seeking, so. If you're really Thank confused you right now. It, Trevor. I know you're <laughs> holding your tongue on this one, trying to not give it away, so. <laughs> if you're listening yeah. and you're really confused right now, go back like 12 episodes and, and listen to us theorizing about. In, uh, in Warbreaker. Warbreaker, so yes. Reading Warbreaker and uh, reading about Light Song, and I, I drew some similarities there between Light Song and Shalon, so. Oh, man. All right. All right. Chapter 63. Shalon is doing the first prod into the castle. She goes in and disguises herself as a messenger from the Shattered Plains and says, yo, I have a message. And she notices a couple weird things about the city headed up there. Do you guys 
Did you guys pick up on this? Did you care? As she was going through the city, she sees a couple things. She notices a couple things. So we haven't talked yet about the, I think they call them the cult of moments or something like that. Mm -hmm. These people that they notice, I think is actually even when they first enter the city, these people are like dressing up like Spren and parading around the city. And I'm getting the vibe that they're like worshiping the Spren almost is what it sort of seems like a very yeah, cultish, a very religious sort of thing. And Shalon seems to notice that they appear to be the ones controlling the oath gate she sees the oath gate area she recognizes it and she sees these cult cultist people all around it which seems scary did you guys remember her thoughts on the guards where as she was approaching the the castle there was these grand villas and like how like big houses that all had personal guards and they were all did you guys catch a couple adjectives here the word that keeps coming up for all of this is wrong they keep using you know they feel wrong and something that i couldn't quite wrap my head around maybe the audiobook helped you better with this this paul she seems to like look at something and it seems wrong but then when she like looks closer it seems fine where like she sees the soldiers and they just they look wrong they don't seem like they have faces but then when she looks closer okay yeah they do have faces it, it's maybe it's okay so it's almost like there's this almost illusion in front of them or there's this they're they're meant to be sort of like a mockery of what's right that it kind of maybe doesn't it she notices the wrongness at first but then when she looks closer whatever the power is kind of shows her a little more. I don't know. I was having a hard time with it. It is. I almost think of this in the same vein as when we saw Ray appear or so wasn't it when, I don't know if this was when we were first introduced or not, but Shalon is having that. There's the scene where she kind of has, she kind of creates a whole like audience for her and does this like show or whatever oh, yeah. this whole this whole thing, and then she one of them she realizes one of them isn't what she made, um, and it runs off. Or we we speculate is this something she created out of improper like use or craziness or what, uh, and then we realize it's not. Um, but at first it was like blending in, I guess, and on deeper look, we know it was like a very twisted, like creation, I guess, or not, not accurate. And that's kind of what I'm thinking of here of like, we're seeing things that like on the surface, it's like, okay, whatever a person or guard. And then as you kind of look closer, they seem to be like, yeah, wrong or like dark or like I've almost had the the mindset of they're like influenced or maybe like maybe possessed would be a, a word you could use there um where they they're almost like a shell of who they were they're kind of being controlled or something I wanted to ask my... you about this Paul I, I want to come back and talk about Vale in a second actually before we go too far but but since we're talking about the guards in particular Paul, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. 
I'm a little confused. So going through the kind of the end of these chapters here, we get to see these guards who clearly seem to be acting under the influence of something else, right? She she walks in, spoiler, she walks into the, the palace and gets stabbed, killed, dumped. She gets out, she survives, yada, yada. We'll talk about that in more detail in a second. But I'm confused because it doesn't seem like the guards are like completely under the control of something else. They're not like mindless. And the reason I say this is when she enters in as the as a messenger, she gets questioned by the guard captain. The captain says, ooh, I was on the Shattered Plains. I, I know some people out there. Who was your captain? And Shalon luckily knows like who the captain of the, the messengers was and can answer that. But that seems like information that's in the head of that guard, not necessarily information that's like in coming from a spren or something like that. So it seems like the guards are still like, conscious that, that they're still people. It's not like they've been completely taken over by some other thing that's just mindlessly controlling them. But at the same time, they seem to be very clearly acting under the control of a very dark force. What, what was your take on all that, Paul? Is, is this complete mind control? Is this some sort of weird corruption? Like, what did you think? Yeah, my understanding, which I am really glad you brought this up, my understanding is that it's like, I assume that there's this like spren or being that is like always watching and they get to kind of be themselves. And then whenever the spren needs to, or the host needs to, they just kind of like then take over and do their thing. Like in that case, it's like, okay, he's a guard. He can stand there. And he's basically under control, but main gray area on if they know they're being controlled or not. Right. Um, so did you guys know, I'm going to piggyback off of what you just said, Paul. Did you guys notice mm-hmm. the, the change of behavior of the guards? They, Elliot, what you're, what you're talking about at the beginning of the scene, they're fairly normal that she goes up to like the man right. at arms there and says, yo, I'm a messenger from the shattered planes. The captain comes up and questions her a little bit this is a fairly normal conversation and then there's a switch and they just stab her nobody says a word and they all walk away exactly this is like if this were in a movie or show or something this would be like oh my goodness like they're obviously oh, yeah. like not normal humans right like this is something weird and and i thought of that too trevor and i think the notable thing for me so if I remember this correctly, they have their norm, like fairly normal conversation. She's like, I brought a message for so-and-so and they're like, okay, cool. And that's kind of it. And then Shalon is like, or Vale is like, well, I need to deliver it to them. And then she's just like instantly stabbed. Like it's just like sets it off and instantly she gets stabbed and, and dumped. Uh, and I'm assuming that was kind of the like, okay, like the, Sprinter or unmade kind of just takes over then knows that this is something different and just thwarts it right there um, was my understanding that does seem to make sense it still seems a little bit odd to me that so many people are going along with this it like all the guards appear to be acting as if everything's fine y- you would think that okay if whatever this being is takes control of the guard captain runs shalon through at least one of the guards standing there is going to be like 
wait, what the heck just happened? Like something wrong is going on here, but no, they all just don't even blink and yeah. continue on. And it's like, well, yeah. I'm, hang, yeah, it doesn't I'm quite definitely make sense. under the assumption that this is like a hive mind situation. Like yeah. at least whatever, like I said, my understanding is kind of, or my guess is like, they kind of have their own free will or at least their knowledge. But the, the puppet master kind of behind the scenes is like in control and can just take over like at yeah the blink of an eye and, and just like do that and just took control of them like did that and they just go and so I'm I'm under the uh, assumption that they don't really know what they're doing because yeah there would be some kind of reaction at least one of them would be like hold on wait <laughs> yeah why did you right? do that you know and uh, if that really takes so. Thinking about this too, we have at least one other example of memories being erased. So it, it could be a, a case of this friend takes control of them, does whatever, and then leaves taking the memories of that with them, right? So maybe they, they don't even remember that they just murdered someone in you know cold blood and then they move go on with their lives. It, yeah, definitely a lot of possibilities still. Good stuff. So I want to, is now a good time to pop back to Vale real quick? Yeah, go ahead and go back to your words because I think that's what you want to talk about here. Yes. Yes, it is. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep going with the, the story in a second. But before Shalon actually goes into the palace, there's a little bit that actually caught my my attention. She's she's getting into the Vale persona, right? She's putting on that character, you know, mentally and physically. And she has this like moment where it's her and Kaladin together. And she's like, you know, noticing Kaladin and, and feeling kind of attracted to him. And she has this thought where she's like, oh, Vale is even more attracted to Kaladin than Shallan is. And Vale is even like, oh, that's silly, Shallan. What does she see in, in Adolin? And I just like paused for a second because I was like, wait, wait a second. This is getting confusing. We we've got we've already got a love triangle right between Kaladin and Adolin and Shallan. Now we basically have a four person love triangle that's still only three people. That that is something only Shallan could have come up with. That is this is just silly at this point. We have three people with four personas, all loving different ones in the yeah i'm oh man because then when she's shallan she'll be like oh you know adolin's so nice and then when she's veiled suddenly like, oh adolin's adolin stinks you know right and, and poor kaladin's just gonna get drug in in every which way like he's, he's shallan's gonna flirt with him when she's veiled but then you know just make fun of him and give him nasty disguises when she's Shallan. Like, oh boy. Oh man. <laughs> like whenever I talked about, I'm worried about Shallan getting too caught up in her, her disguises. I didn't think of this aspect, but it's just so unhealthy. Like it's just so <laughs> bad. Like, like, like the oh, I'm so and so right now. There oh, so now I like Kaladin. But if I'm Shalon, I like Adel. Like that's so. Oh my goodness. 
that's we don't need to talk about it further but that's just so rough that's so that aggravates me (laughs) it's going to cause her problems we've already talked about how the multiple persona things is going to cause her problems this is a new aspect of problems about to be caused with if shallan can't even decide who she's flirting with oh brother We mentioned it briefly, but we'll go back and touch on it before we go to our Dalinar chapters. Shalon gets stabbed, gets thrown over the shoulder of this soldier, and she's getting carried down to the cellar, the dungeon, you know, whatever. I don't remember what it is. And he, as they're walking down this hall, she peeks open her eyes, and they're passing a mirror and she sees something in the mirror. Did you guys pick up on this? I picked up on it only to write down like, huh? <laughs> what was that? It, it, it was one of those weird moments where it was like, clearly that was important and strange. But what was it? There, there was clearly some sort of, probably a spren in that mirror was it the unmade? Was it like, I was actually wondering if it was like the spren of the palace. We, we've kind of seen that before where like spren of entire buildings, like maybe feel some way is like that spren feeling, you know, tortured because this unmade is taking over the palace. I, I don't know. It was something weird. Any guesses, Paul? Mm, no. I was confused. I'm assuming it is, like... My initial thought was something to do with, like, how our people in this palace are seeing themselves. Like we said, like, they may not know what they're doing, and maybe they look in this mirror and they're like, oh, I look great today, like... It's somehow... Is this a picture of Dorian Gray all over again? Have you -hmm. you read that book? No. No. But I'm sure the connection's accurate. <laughs> I'll trust you on that. It it could play into our our thoughts or, or your thoughts, Paul, on maybe this unmade spren is like watching everything that's that's going on in the palace and just, you know, when it needs to step in and control events, it does so. So maybe like it's it's watching through the various, you know, things that are around the palace. So maybe it's in the mirror. And it's watching and it's, you know, waiting for when it needs to step in and, and control something, perhaps. I could definitely see that. I mean, do, do we think that poses a direct threat to our heroes going in? Do we think they're, well, someone's going to get mind controlled or? It's possible. Anything like it... Or maybe our characters that don't have a spren, maybe this kind of. I could see it being something like that, where it's like, if you don't have a sprint, they can kind of take control, but maybe your heroes are going to be safe. That's some good plot armor that makes logical sense. That could also just be out of left field and not matter. It would just be wild speculation. So, Is this going to turn into that annoying stealth level that's in every video game where you have to sneak through the palace without getting caught by the the unmade sprint and you keep getting caught and having to start it over you have to try it like 25 and over and over and over just to get back to the regular levels not that that's ever happened to me 
<laughs> Never. Yeah. One quick thing before we move on. This is the same palace that Zeth attacks in the prologue of all three of our books. I, in my, I don't know why I do this, but for so long in my head, I always have them at the Shattered Plains already when when Zeth is attacking, I always imagine them at that palace in the Shattered Plains, and that's what he's attacking, but that's not true. They are here in the palace of Kolinar, that this is the palace that Zeth attacks that first time in the prologue. So just keep that in the back of your head. There's a handy map of Kolinar in the in the book. We should get that a uh... That artwork for Paul probably because you probably have not seen that. It it kind of points yeah, out like where the palace is and and where the oath gate is. It's it's definitely helpful. I will pull that probably next week for you. Anything else for our Shalon stuff? He's do. I would say my summary is that I feel like she's doing good things right now in the palace. Like she's doing a good job. But the concern is like, at what cost? Like she she's just gone off the deep end. But she's doing nice. Like she's she's getting things done, you know. But... It's going okay so far. I mean, Shalon got stabbed through the chest, but it's okay. She survived. We're but good. She can do that. Yeah. Right. We're learning some things. We're it's going okay so far, but it's there's some some dark things going on here. That this might this might get. Uh, weird fast like she may be a hero but like at what cost kind of thing. Mm, yes it's like her mental fortitude so we will see all right good stuff two dalinar chapters to close out our episode this week ellie do you want to start with our epigraph you have it on our outline here yeah brief little sidebar here so for chapter 64 the epigraph caught my eye i maybe should just uh should just read it for you actually we can pause for a second while i flip there because it it hints at you know one of the bigger questions we're trying to track down which is what happened to cause the recreants we, we've got all these hints of something massive has happened some people know others don't what the heck could it be the epigraph from 64 is actually one of the first uh, little, you know, gems coming out of the wall that seems to be useful. The rest almost seem to be like, you know, excerpts from people's diaries. Well, this one says this. The disagreements between the Skybreakers and the Windrunners have grown to tragic levels. I plead with any who hear this to recognize you are not so different as you think. From drawer 2719, Topaz. And that seemed to maybe hint at what could have caused our recreance event, actually. We, we've kind of theorized before that it could be some sort of internal conflict amongst the Night Radiance. Did one order like turn against the rest? Did one order you know, betray you know, something else? This seems to be direct evidence that there is conflict between the Skybreakers and the Windrunners. So, Bring it, Paul. And I think we... <laughs> apparently exactly as long as i'm a good one probably probably we've seen what 
we've seen what skybikers are capable of. So the, yeah, so maybe this, is this it? Is this the, the cause? Did the, did something come to a head and the skybreakers like attack the wind runners or the wind runners attack the skybreakers and everyone else is like, Whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Maybe it doesn't seem to quite answer, you know, all the questions, but maybe this is a thread we can start to, to pull on or start to look for maybe for a, a cause perhaps. All right, so this is confession time for me. Oh, dear. My first read-through of Oathbringer was a listen, and I heard this epigraph, and I got so impatient with the question that you're asking yourself. I did a big no-no, and I listened to all the epigraphs for the whole part before continuing to read. I listened to all the epigraphs to, like, I didn't, like, read chapters out of order. I just listened to all the epigraphs back to back just to hear them all. And I I spoiled something for myself. I learned something that I wasn't supposed to know at the time. Our fearless leader, Trevor. I'm sorry. I know. We're learning his dark past. (laughs) Yes. And it's really... How dare you? Now, I I remember listening to this epigraph. I'm like, oh, Skybreaker and Windrunner conflict... I need to know more, and I I caved and I listened <laughs> to all the epigraphs. I feel like if you were a light weaver, that would have been like one of your one ideals. Of my you just ideals, spoke right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was. If you yeah. were a light weaver, like that was a huge moment for you, like sharing that truth. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But don't ever do that again. Well, I won't. Yeah, please. <laughs> when the last book comes out, Trevor, you can't. You can't oh, jump I, ahead. I okay. won't. I definitely well, learned my lesson. Yeah, we'll help you stay strong. You can do it. Yeah. Alrighty. So, the Stormfather and Dalinar are having conversation, as as per usual, as we've come to come to know. And the Stormfather is rather forthcoming in this in this chapter. We get some. He he's turning out to be very useful. We are learning a lot from this guy. Yeah. What did we learn today? So. He talks to Dalinar and just kind of offhand reveals, like, "Oh yeah, I know where one of the heralds are," and and Daryl Dalinar's like, "Wait, you, you what? And you and you didn't think to to share this before?" And the Stormfather, you know, replies with the classic, "Well, you didn't ask me before," and I thought that was pretty great. It was. It seems like a big uh, part of our our story in general is like people knowing things and just not sharing with the class, and then. <laughs> and Apparently. so, like, if everyone put all their information on the table, I feel like things would be going <laughs> a lot quicker. But a, the information he does share is super useful and actually resolved, I think, a, a mistake I had made in my, my headcanon. So he reveals that he knows where the Herald Ishar is. And he goes further on to talk about how Ishar is the... Herald of the Bondsmiths, right, Trevor? And did yep. I catch that correctly? You did. Yep. And it uh, drops a few bombs, like, oh, and Ishar's the one who came up with the idea for the Knights Radiant. It was the initial founder. He was the initial founder of the the Knights Radiant. He's also known as the Binder of Gods, which sounds ominous. And I had actually concluded myself that Ishar was the Herald of the Lightweavers. 
which I've now learned is incorrect. And the reason why I had thought that was back in Words of Radiance. Remember back to the scene where Shalon is poking around. She's she's testing out her abilities of, of espionage, and she gets into the chamber where Talonel the Herald is being held. And she talks to him. They have a conversation. And Talonel says, oh, you're one of Ishar's knights. And like, blah, 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 rambles on, like, da, 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 da. And I think we had heard the name Ishar before. We knew that Ishar was a herald. So I immediately clicked that as like, oh, he just saw Shalon do light weaving. And so he's saying, oh, you're a knight of Ishar's order. What I now realize is that's not what he was saying at all. He was referring to simply the fact that Ishar had founded the, the knights radiant. And he's thinking, oh, you're one of those mere human beings that's a, a knight radiant that Ishar has founded. Did did I correct myself correctly there, Trevor? Am I on the right page now? You did, and you are on the right page now. Okay. And Brandon Sanderson does things like that on purpose. He writes things like that on purpose so that you think one down one way that, oh, Ishar is a light weaver. Ishar is the herald of the light weavers. No, you just got caught with the grammar haha <laughs> gotcha you know like <laughs> ishar is the herald that founded the knights radiant and she's just a knights radiant is what talent all yeah you that is completely intentional the the pitfall you fell for there that's kind of cruel come on branderson sanderson i expected <laughs> a more highly empty brandy sandy but no that's actually kind of cool i won't lie and Paul, now we know where Trevor gets it from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. True. Wow. So yeah, that was a big moment for me learning that, oh, Ishar is a herald, not of light weavers, but of bondsmiths and the original founder of the Knights Radiant. And we know where he is. The Stormfather reveals that he's known as Tezim? Somebody help me with the name here. Yeah, I believe it. Correct. Hold on. I know I wrote this in my notes. Where did I put this? I actually don't. Yeah, Tazim. 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 Yeah, and I think we've heard a mention of this before. I'm looking at my map. Yeah, one of the one of the Western countries over by Azir is like always at war with its nearby country. And they talk about how the the god priest or god king of this place, Tazim, is like behind all of that. That's who this is that they're talking about. There, here's this herald Ishar, who the Stormfather says he's crazy. You know, Dalinar is like asking why is why is he doing this, and the Stormfather's like, I don't know. Ask him. He's insane. So, yeah, there's that bomb drop. So how many? How many heralds do we have that are crazy now? Confirmed. At least three. At least. But I can name like off the top of my head. No, wait. If we count Nail, Nail four. Um, because you talk about Talonel, we learn about. Uh, I almost said Ishik. Um, <laughs> Ishar. Yeah, we heard about Ishar. There's Nile, Nail. And then he talks about Yezrian some of just like he may be the craziest of them all. I believe that's somewhere in here. 
Is it here? Said in other spots. Um, but he's the Windrunner one, right? Do and you? He, uh... Do you guys remember in the prologue of this book? No. Pro, sorry, prologue of Words of Radiance. Yasna's walking down the hall and she crosses two people. Do you remember this? Like two people mm-hmm. are walking down the hall and having a, a rant. We've learned who one of them is. Do you remember? Well, we learned one of them is Nail. Correct. Nail. The, yeah. And the Dude other. With the... Yep. One of them is Nail. The other one is ranting to Nail, saying, I didn't think we were supposed to go insane. I'm not going insane. Are you insane? I didn't think I was insane. And then he cuts off. Why were oh, they man. there? That's my question. Why 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 did we have two heroes just casually walking down the the corridor? Like I Hmm. I had not considered that that other person could be a herald. That could definitely be a possibility. It, it's I gotta be. I think okay, either this is exactly what Trevor just said and Brandon Brandon right? said he's trying <laughs> to trick us, or it's a herald. It's one of those two. So, or, so, so, Paul. Just to recap, it's either a herald or it's not a herald. That's what you've. That's what you've. Exactly. Okay, got exactly. it. Exactly. We. It is either a herald or it is not a herald. So that only two options here in this case. We've narrowed it down to two options. So uh, we're getting close. We're getting close. We think it's I'm gonna go cool. read. I bet it's. I don't know who it is. Co- no. Question. L- let me pull this a little bit more. If he is a herald. And we do know it's a he because Yasna says it's a he. Who is it? You can Black. Figure... There you go. You can figure that out. If it is a herald, it's Clack because he's the only one who hasn't been identified right now. Oh, I was or, just throwing it out there. But or <laughs> hold on. Is it Yezrian? Because Dalinar thinks he recognizes Yezrian from somewhere in the vision. You remember this? Has he sees Yezrian and is like, oh, that guy looks familiar. I I remember seeing that, and I remember a big, you know, question mark popping up of like, whoa, wait a second, why the heck would Downer recognize that dude? So that could work. And it does make sense that our Windrunner and Skybreaker would be talking to each other, right? Well, maybe. So think of them maybe. as kind of I kind of think of them as kind of sister groups. They aren't kind of sort of. They both fly around. They are next to each other on the yeah the, the mm-hmm. wheel of sort of. So in my right head, there. it makes sense that they would be talking to each other. So, but we also just learned that their potentially conflict between the two of them could be the source of why the whole night's radiant fell apart to begin with. Right. So that's true. We don't have any idea of what order Kalak would be, do we? I'm just curious because he was like our opener. And I think yeah. he's super cool, but you do, but I'm not gonna give it to you. I mean, okay. I that's okay. I could give you, you five minutes to. of piecing the other stuff, but I will save that for another day. Okay, that's fine. Um, on our topic of big, big people and things, um, I don't actually remember who's talking about it. Maybe I think it's Dalinar talking to the uh, talking to the Stormfather. And mentions like cultivation 
And I think it was really funny that the Stormfather was like, I'd like to see someone try to bond cultivation. Like, I'd yeah. really like to see that. And I thought, that, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. But it also made me think, like, Stormfather's, like, on the same tier, right, as ODM and uh, Cultivation, right? Oh, okay, I was wrong. Honor is on the same tier. Oh, that's right. Okay. And yes. the Stormfather is Honor Spren, if you want to think about it that way. Okay. That makes more sense. Because I was like, how is someone going to... Like, if someone can bond the Stormfather, can't they do that with Cultivation or Odium 2? I mean, sure, it may not be casual, but... Which this... Okay. That this... makes way more sense. This entertains the question that's in our outline from Elliot here is there's a there's a term called siblings in here that the Stormfather uses to talk about himself is that he is corresponding siblings of we're assuming Spren uh, that correspond to something. So what does that mean? And this touches back to our conversation two or three episodes ago, I want to say, where we talked about Bondsmith. The fact that there's exactly three of them, and Trevor, you you helped us understand that our world of Roshar here has three shards, or godly being powerful things. And so we started jumping to some conclusions of like, is the Bondsmith bonding with those shards is are they bonding with honor and maybe perhaps you know dalinar is only bonding with the Stormfather because that's all that's left of honor well here in this conversation the Stormfather reveals a little bit of information because he he laughs at the suggestion of someone bothering or of bonding <laughs> cultivation well yeah that too <laughs> of bonding cultivation which actually implies that it's possible Note, notice that that does kind of imply that that's something that could happen. It just seems ridiculously Im impossible. But he does seem to infer that there's like siblings or maybe, yeah, like other spren that are maybe associated with the the gods as we know them, perhaps. In my head, it makes perfect sense that the Stormfather is like, I'd like to see someone try to bond cultivation yeah. and then lift just goes and casually bonds cultivation. <laughs> totally that's that exactly what would happen perfect sense in my mind she just walks up as like hey want to be my my <laughs> my friend pals. and then and then they're just bond like <laughs> in my head that makes total sense and then for no odium and the storm father just super upset at lift for yeah, they're like yeah. hold on <laughs> hold on a second here and we still don't understand a lot of the mysteries of Lyft, and she just casually kind of does this thing, you know? But If that is not in the next book, I'll be disappointed. Uh, me too, honestly. I'll be a little bit disappointed. It's the it's the opening prologue of Rhythm of War. Oh, yes. It's it's the same night that Gavilar is assassinated, but Lyft <laughs> is just bonding cultivation. Yeah, just casually. Yep. That's great. I think, though... The Night Watcher may be tied into this. You know, we we've kind of we've learned that the Stormfather is a spren, sort of a, a remnant of honor, but he's big, he's powerful, he's very important. The only other like comparison I could think of is the Night Watcher. We've been told the Night Watcher is a spren. I think we have been told that. Mm -hmm. And we know how powerful she is. We know that she is like a 
whoa, you don't mess with the Night Watcher just like you don't mess with the Stormfather. What if the Night Watcher is like the Stormfather equivalent to cultivation? That's my theory, at least. It very well could be. I, that makes a lot of sense. If if that's the case, do we have an equivalent with Odium? And that's the next great question, is if... If... if the Stormfather is the spren for honor, and the Night Watcher is a spren for cultivation. It makes sense that there would be one for Odium. The Stormfather even says siblings, plural, so there's more than one of these types of beings. Definitely could be one for Odium. Um, would you like to hear the my, the theory that popped into my head that it's on the same tier as Shalana's Light Song? Already. Um, so if Shalon is neither Vale or Shalon, she could be Odium's sibling person, you know. Goodness. So excuse me. Okay. okay. Wow. Just because <laughs> last episode Sil accused Shalon of being spren like does not mean <laughs> that she is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been confusing your first spread for a week, and now, you so. and you've accused her of being the ultimate villain of this whole mm-hmm. thing, and it's all come so, full circle. It is, it is, it really is, and so you know, so prove me wrong, uh, you know, change my mind. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, jokes it- aside, there, I don't, I don't know who are. Odium equivalent is. Here's a theory that just popped into my head. Uh oh. The thrill. We we've had a we we've had a hint somewhere along the line. I don't even remember where that the thrill may be tied to the presence of either a certain type of spren or one specific spren. What if that spren is the spren of Odium? And I'm I'm thinking of like, you know, how Odium claims that he's pure emotion. He's all the emotions. He's hate, he's love, he's all of this. The thrill is kind of, you know, an emotion in and of itself. It, it's like an extreme, you know, adrenaline hit of emotions. What if what if those are linked together somehow? I like that more than my idea. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm not throwing your dice. It goes on the whiteboard too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes. After deep contemplation, I will barely slide over to that side <laughs> as, as, a, as a good idea. So that that's actually a really cool idea. And we've known that the thrill is something important, or at least we've kind of yeah released that recently from this book. And so that makes sense. That magnitude seems to match up. The the thrill's certainly been mentioned five times as much in this book than it has in the other two books combined. So, and we've seen it for a long time. So it makes it like if that is a reveal of some sort, that would be like really grand and have a hold a lot of significance because we've seen it since this beginning. Um, another another part to this would actually be that. Have you guys heard references to the thrill being region locked? Like, 
it's in it's present in specific regions and then compare that to the storm father who's kind of restricted to the storm and then the night watcher you have to go to the night watcher like there are specific yep. regions of where the night watcher lives where the storm father goes like and then the thrill is in specific a specific region there's something to back up your theory Elliot. yep I like it. I'm going to stick with it now. All right. Stormlight. We get an interesting definition of stormlight from the Stormfather. We got a history lesson this episode. We're still not done with, with good nuggets from the Stormfather. Honestly, this is really cool. So the Stormfather just says that like how stormlight works and that it's infinite power from the spiritual realm passing into the physical realm so now we have a cognitive realm oh, it, it, that was the third one right it was like physical cognitive and spiritual right Correct. okay so this is we don't see that much from the spiritual realm right we've seen the cognitive realm that shades more and all that stuff, right? Correct. So interesting. So this is from the spiritual realm, and I guess they just have a lot of power generators. And it's kind of overflowing. The way he described it was really helpful, too. He described it as like the storm, the high storm, is just like this event that allows the different realms to like merge momentarily. And so like power from the spiritual realm that's not really supposed to be in the physical realm like leaks over into the physical realm and gets apparently caught in gemstones and knights radiant and, and things like that so that actually that's really helpful for me to start to kind of understand what is this that we're dealing with what is this you know stormlight that powers so much in roshar where's it even coming from well, now we kind of know it's it's just like an, a little bit of the spiritual realm leaking over into the physical. So that was really helpful for me. It is. This is like the first thing. It's like, oh, I don't have a hundred questions after this. I have an answer. Yeah, yep. That's yeah. Like, so we we found an answer. We did it. And then if you if you contrast if you take a step back and look at the format of your knight's radiant, you have the actual knight who's in the physical realm. You have their spren, who is in the cognitive realm, and you have their power, which is in the spiritual realm. So you have a nice triforce there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We definitely don't work enough Legend of Zelda references into this podcast. Yeah, that's true. At the end of this chapter, Dalinar gives... Zeth's old sword, the Windrunner, or I guess Yezrian's sword, if we're getting technical, um, mm. to Rock. Yes. This was a really good chapter. There's so much stuff. Um, and this, this poses this was... kind of the ethical dilemma of... Is, Rock is like, I'll hold on to it while y'all... Y'all go do your thing, but is he going to have to use it? All right, predictions right now. Yeah. Yes, no. 
No. I think yes. I think we've gone too long with the idea of when is Rock going to have to fight? And it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think this one's a red herring. I This seems like a great dilemma that would have to happen. Here we have Rock who refuses to fight, but clearly we, we've seen him that he can. He He's shown that he can. <clears throat> Is he going to face some sort of dilemma where everyone's about to die? Can someone step in and save the day? Well, Rock has a shard blade now, so he can. Will he get to? That seems like a good story moment we could be headed for. But we've also had a lot of these in the past where it seemed like it was setting up for a big story moment and then nothing really comes of it. So I'm going to completely just guess here and say I think this one's a bit of a red herring. The one that instantly jumped in my mind was uh, Pattern and Syl having their first conversation. Yeah. And they still haven't. You know, like there's there's definitely things that have been set up and then they're just, you know. Well, and, and now's actually a good time to, to talk about something I wanted to bring up. Another one, Adolin killing Sadius. I thought, and I talked about this, I think, at the end of, of Words of Radiance, I thought that was going to be pivotal through this entire book, that Adolin was going to be struggling with this, that this is going to come back to haunt him, that this is going to you know, be in the back of his mind for the rest of his days. He's going to go down a dark tunnel. We're never going to see the the happy-go-lucky Adolin ever again. He seems to have completely forgotten it. <laughs> we, we have not seen one mention, aside from maybe the first, you know, 10 chapters. It, it's a bit, there's an intrigue on it for the first 10 chapters, right, where they're trying to figure it out. Then there's the copycat killer. It all kind of, you know, all the focus gets put on the unmade. And we've almost completely dropped the fact that Adolin just completely in cold blood knifed Sadius in a, in a back alley. And I thought for sure that was going to be a huge like character moment for him. And it, it so far has not been. That's true. And so I didn't think of like, so, so my thought was since he died in such a almost anticlimactic way that there has to be like repercussions or further story significance where Adolin is like faced, I don't know. Yeah. He, he, you know, feels a great deal of remorse or like whatever, all this stuff. Right. And we haven't seen that. So is it like Sadius just kind of died because he needed to be removed from the story right now, but there wasn't the best way to do it, if that makes sense? Or what? Or is it supposed to be just that like revenge moment of that Sadius was a terrible person and we we got our revenge on him. Done. Moving on. Adolin couldn't stand it and just went ahead. Yeah. yeah. Adolin, as a character in general, has kind of been dropped for the first half of this book. We haven't had that many Adolin scenes. It's all been, you know, Dalinar and then the rest of our Bridge 4 was all part two and stuff like that. Adolin's kind of been there. He's been in scenes. He said some dialogue, but he hasn't really had that many scenes. He's probably think, been off screen spending time with his little spren he's discovered or something like that. And he'll be a, oh. a, There's a theory. stone ward or a will shaper, one of the ones we haven't seen really. So, I, I think the only thing I can honestly think of like an Adolin moment in this book is there, there was a scene where like Adolin Renarin had a conversation with like, you know, at Yurithiru and, and Renarin like, 
heals him or inspires him in like a, a little moment there. But yeah, aside from that little character moment, you're you're right. We haven't really spent too much time in, in Adolin's head. But yeah, also bringing back to this chapter. No, go ahead, Paul. Which I wanted to mention was we haven't seen Adele in our flashback chapter in a while. Or like at least in we didn't get one in the last episode or this one. And I'm wondering if they're waiting until like this current dilemma is over to start that again, or if we're gonna see more this part or the last three sentences of sixty five might answer your question for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but we better be getting one pretty darn soon because we got left on a cliffhanger at the end of 65 which we'll talk about in a second but yeah coming back to 64 rock now has the windrunner honor blade that like we just learned a bunch of other stuff in this chapter but i feel like that one should not go overlooked like that seems like wait a second rock is now rock walking around with an honor blade i mean think about that that gives him the full abilities of a windrunner like Zeth level of abilities that we saw before. This is not just like, hey, hang on to this. This seems like a big deal. Also, kind of side note, that he, Rock has now accomplished his original quest from coming down from the Horn Eater Peaks. He came down from the Horn Eater Peaks to win a Shardblade, and yeah. he just got one. That's a good point. He did. It's a pretty cool one to get, you know. It's like not just any shard blade. True. Um, and I, I do have to say, I think it's good that he has it because if there's someone that I trust, without the guidance of a spren right now, it would, it would be rock. Be Lopin. So... <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> Please no. Please that no. would be horrifying. <laughs> I forgot about Lopin. It's been a little while since we've seen it seen Lopin it feels like but oh my goodness. what if I, <laughs> on that train of thought what if Lopin had night blood oh my oh goodness. gosh <laughs> <laughs> okay I, I'm with you Paul if, if anyone I would trust to, to hang on to a very powerful weapon Rock is, is probably the best uh, he as, as was in my, my first reaction perhaps a waste of a powerful weapon if Rock refuses to use it but also probably one of the safest hands to to have that in. So we'll see what happens. All right, 65. Dalinar is approaching the Azish again. He's brought Gox into a couple visions now, not really getting anywhere, but they have agreed to open their oath gate to him to at least talk. And he brings... A lot of Azish style uh, arguments with him that Yasna and Navani have drawn up for him, and very they are very persuasive. This is smart. This is really smart. If you want to, you know, persuade someone to join your cause, going to them and speaking to them in their language, and, and I don't mean that literally, I mean that like, you know, figuratively, although he does that literally as well, come to them with things that mean something to them. Don't just go in and try and, you know, 
fight a duel with one of their princes and let him stab you as a show of force. No, come in with essays that are very astutely written and make a very, you know, convincing case through, you know, poetry. Because that's what they are going to respond to. That's their language. That's what they do. So this is actually really tactful. I'm sure this was not Dalinar's idea. I'm sure this was like Navani's idea or, or Yasna. This seems like a very Yasna thing to do. But just as like a group, this was absolutely the right way to to tackle this. And it works too. Yeah. You said speak their language. And he... <laughs> I. I've read he this. Does. I've read this book multiple times, and I completely forgot the scene was in here. He he goes through the Oath Gate. All the spearmen are like, you know, shakily trying to like keep him back or whatever. He grabs the arm of one of them, and the Stormfather is like, "Yeah, you you can speak his language." Or Dalinar has this thought ahead of time, like, "I can probably I can almost understand him." And then the Stormfather says, "Oh, touch him!" And he just grabs the arm and holds on to him as he's trying to like squirm out of his hands. And then he can speak Asish. Andy. I wish I had that ability. Just go like, you know, shake hands with, with someone who you know speaks Japanese or whatever else and just learn languages. Like, yeah, man, sign me up. It's certainly handy for trying to unite different nations to your cause. Oh yeah. It is. It's and, kind of starting to come together, and it's cool to see like something unique. I feel like all of our Knights Radiant so far have been like, oh, I can fly, or I can break things, or like stick things back together. And this one is more like more political, I guess, or like like he can unite people in speech like in communication which is incredibly important and it's really cool to see that and i think that's one of the coolest like powers we've seen so far for sure it definitely sticks out the most right now yeah very much out of character from the rest of them all the rest of them seem to be yeah at least maybe almost all the rest of them at least like combat related or espionage related or yeah try to get what you want sort of thing this is much more, yeah, cooperative. Hey, I can share your thoughts and, and learn your language, although I suppose you come up with devious ways to use that too, but I agree. This seems like a, a, a rather different power. I I couldn't help but thinking through this section, and it's actually mentioned in here a little bit, that the kind of running comparison of Dalinar to the Sunmaker is an interesting one. And... Trevor, help make sure I get this right. The Sunmaker is the original owner of the Shardblade Oathbringer, right? Correct. So so there's kind of this running, you know, comparison or theme of is Dalinar walking in the footsteps of the Sunmaker? And we we've learned that the Sunmaker was a very bloodthirsty tyrant who came in and conquered lands and slaughtered a lot of people and is a large reason why the Azish, Azish people don't trust the Alethi because last time they dealt with them it was the Sunmaker and he could, just kind of came in and wrecked everything. And here is Dalinar coming in and, and doing something very different than the Sunmaker did. He He's coming in looking to cooperate. He's looking to meet the Azish on their level, not just kind of come in and force them to do things his way. So this I noted was a, a an important deviation from walking in the footsteps of the Sunmaker and something that is 
something that I really admire about modern day Dalinar that old day Dalinar would not have done. I'm sure we're very soon going to be going back to, you know, flashback Dalinar to perhaps learn something, you know, rather dark. But uh, this was a positive moment, at least for now. Right at the end of this chapter, Dalinar has a couple triggers in his mind, which all culminates to the last couple sentences of this chapter. Do you guys remember what those triggers are that that fires in his brain for this? I can I can refresh your mind if you don't have it if you don't remember what it is. I do not. One of them is like treated like an animal or something like that it's like so one of them is he's admiring the tents and the canopy of the of the of the azish uh marketplace and it looks like lattice working of like bridges and stuff like that and he remember and he's like oh that looks that reminds me of something and then the as he's leaving the azish are like, man, we're really impressed with you. You didn't come in and act like an animal. And as he goes back through the oath gate, those two things combined trigger something in his mind. He remembers everything that happened to Evie, and it ended at the rift. Is what the is what the chapter ends on. And the lattice working reminds him of the rift, which is all like a bunch of, I think of Goblin Town when I think of the rift. It's a bunch of like wooden structures on the side of these caves and stuff like that. And so that's what triggered in his mind and something about the word animal, he's behaving like an animal, um, triggers in his mind about something that happened at the rift. And some incredibly evil and mischievous leader of our podcast decided that that was where he was going to break up the chapters for us in our reading. And so we've Paul and I have have now been itching and waiting for days and weeks to learn whatever Dalinar just learned because we're stuck on a cliffhanger. Thank you, Trevor. You're welcome. But the best part about ranting about it now... It's one, we get to make fun of Trevor. And two, <laughs> when this is, when we're done recording, I get to I get to go read. So As soon as I hit stop, I'm gonna grab that book. Mm-hmm. Alright. So spoiler alert, we have a flashback Dalinar chapter in our near future. Um oh boy. So whatever Dalinar just learned, we may be learning soon as ourselves. Are we nervous? Are we excited? Downright terrified. I'm excited. I, I'm ready. All right. Let's read and find out. As Brandon Sanderson loves to say, thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. I will reconvene next week. Let's do it. Be on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>